It's July 23rd, 2020, and you're listening to the Architecture Geeks podcast. I'm Larry. And I'm Matthew. And we're your friendly neighborhood architects being geeky as we want to be. Well, hi again, everybody. Thank you for joining us. We're going to do things a little differently today because normally you get a few minutes of Matt and I sort of doing, I guess, our our COVID-19 update miscellaneous chit-chat, but we have a guest today, so we are just going to dive right off into this so we can get uh, well, so we can get him, him through and he can go back to hanging out with the kiddos. So our guest today is Mitch Milby, and Mitch is, I, I guess I would call him my attorney. I don't know if that's really true. <laughs> uh, Mitch is the guy that we always go to when there's a question about contracts, there's a question about, well, anything that's legal. And I've known Mitch for what seems like a really, really long time now. How long now? Oh, I would, I'd say at least 10 years, it feels like, if not longer. Yeah, uh, 10 years sounds about right, but but yeah, it could could possibly be longer. So what I'm going to have do have Mitch do is introduce himself because Mitch isn't just an attorney. He's a very specific type of attorney. So I'm going to turn it over to you, Mitch, and, and give us a little bit of your background. Sure. Thanks, Larry. Thanks for having me this evening. Um, so yeah, uh, my name is Mitch Milby. I've uh, been living in the Dallas-Fort Worth area for, gosh, going on. 25 or so years now, and I've been practicing law all during that time. So for 25 years, I've been, uh, I started out as a criminal prosecutor, and then I made my way over to the civil side in around 2000. And since then, I've been working with architects and engineers. Um, I handle everything from the contracting process to corporate questions. And, you know, unfortunately, when things go sideways, trial work, or, you know, some people like to put it a little bit more politely, dispute resolution. And so um, really, as Larry mentioned, you know, he calls me and other folks call me if they're in the architecture or engineering practice. Uh, and I do have some other owner and contractor clients, but I mainly focus on architects and engineers. But anything, anything architect engineer related, I generally handle. And you know, interestingly enough, I've been getting the COVID questions from the A and E firms the last few months, and and that's and that's why we thought we'd ha- or we we decided to ask you on today because yeah, last week we talked about some of the liability issues and and in in meeting with clients during these unusual times, and so today we thought we'd get a little bit of a deeper dive into how well that's working these days. Yeah. And, and for me, it's, it's because, and particularly because Matthew and I are, are primarily residential architects and Matthew. So Mitch, so, you know, Matthew's a brand new architect. He's been licensed for less than a year, I think. Actually, it'll, it'll be a year in a month. Congratulations. Thank you. Wow. Wow. Hard to believe it's been a year, but but okay. But your but your twins are also what nineteen months old now, so yeah, yeah. Hi. Um, <laughs> anyway, so so uh, so yeah. So we're residential architects, and for us, we are 
very involved one-on-one -on -one with clients. So there is that question of what happens, um, especially now when we have the potential to really get someone sick. But for the start of this, I thought I'd just jump off into something general because for people who don't typically know a lot about architecture and, and really some of the problems we, we face, there is, and I'm going to date myself here because I've been doing this quite a while. I've 20, this is 23 years, I guess. So anyway, um, but when we, when I started in architecture, anything that you did in communication with anyone was notes. You had phone calls, you wrote memos that you sent via fax. This is how old I am. We still had to use fax. But now everything that we do is done so much via email and text, and, and Matthew can attest to this as well. So from, a, from that perspective, from an architecture perspective, and I guess an owner perspective, what, was your, what is your advice as far as when we are communicating with clients? How do we handle that now so that we make sure we're not essentially putting our butts on the line because we've been texting instead of maybe actually emailing the way we need to or, or sending memos. Well, you know, I mean, you're always, unfortunately you're always putting your butts on the line. It's just a matter of, of how quickly you stick it out there, I suppose. I mean, uh, you mentioned the old faxes, you probably remember the old uh, onion paper, you know, that you would use uh, those fax machines and really the fundamentals haven't changed. Electronic communication is as binding as anything that you would send via fax, via letter. The difference is, is that before when you sent a fax or you sent a letter, because there was no email, there was no texting, you would actually pause. You might write it and you'd look at it and you'd think about it before you send it. And so what I tell, what I tell my clients now my friends, we're talking about these issues is, is really make it a habit to, you know, sometimes with that text or that email, you can write it, but maybe sit on it for a day uh, because you can, you can agree to an additional service via email. You can, can agree to it via, via text. Anything that you send in writing can be binding. Electronic signatures on emails is just as good as a as a DocuSign document in most cases. Uh, that, you know, those laws happened a long, long time ago. They actually got ahead of that issue. So nothing has changed. It's just the rapidity with which we communicate uh, now. And of course, the risk is that you send a text or an email in haste before you've thought it through. And that's usually what gets folks in trouble. And one other comment on that note is that any email that you write, even the internal office emails, don't think that you may be able to bury those. So, you know, there's the inner office email that Matthew or Larry sends to, you know, the, the person uh, down the hall from you saying, oh, my gosh, it's that insufferable client again, blah, blah, blah and you write it down, well, heaven forbid if there's ever litigation and there's a request for your entire project file, the question I always get is, well, but does that request include my emails? Does it include my internal emails? And the answer is yes. Everything is discoverable. 
So if it's not something you would show your mom, then don't write it down. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll, I'll keep that in mind. I actually started writing an email a couple of weeks ago and was like, hmm, we're going to put that in the draft folder and come back to that. And I never sent it just, just for that reason. I don't know Matthew's experience with that, although I did get a panicky phone call in New Orleans one time, but that was something that happened in a meeting. Yeah, I really don't want to go into that. <laughs> okay, well, that's fine. Well, well then we'll, uh, we'll jump ahead to the next question. Matthew, I'm going to let you fire this one off. Yeah, so just, just to get a baseline of where things were before this pandemic started, Mitch, what were some of the most common types of risk that you saw architects navigating and what were the most common lawsuits and arbitration issues? Sure. So actually, and they've done studies on this. Of course, insurance companies are always trying to measure the risk and figure out where the biggest items of exposure are. And typically, the biggest driver of lawsuits is poor communication. And so, of course, that begs the question, well, what do you mean by poor communication? Um, in, in, that, in that category, typically will fall the contracting process, where as an architect, it's very easy. You're in a hurry. You don't want to spend time on your contract and not even so much the legal points because things like consequential damage waivers, all the really non-sexy stuff that, you know, we lawyers get excited about, those those usually aren't the big issues. The biggest issue typically I see in the contracting side is failure to define your scope of service as well. And so what contributes to that is you'll get these stock contracts uh, and I'll, I'll pick on the AIA stock contracts for a moment, and you'll see language to the effect of architect will perform the usual and customary architectural you know, engineering services, et cetera, et cetera, necessary to complete the project. Well, what does that mean? And that's where things get bogged down, and it's important to set the expectations of the client um, so they understand what they're paying for. Really, that's a it's a very important issue, and that's going to drive your fee because you don't want to have midway through or at the end of the project an argument with your client about, well, I thought you were going to do this. No, I wasn't. Um, I have architects picking up sometimes design in the middle of a project, picking it up from another architect. So, scope of service is really one of the biggest issues, and folks just for whatever reason, don't like to spend time really drilling down on that. And that does create issues later on from everything to, as I mentioned, the, the disagreement at the end of the project or the questions about uh, what's an ad service. You know, when do your basic services end and when do the ad services start? So I, I really encourage folks to spend a lot of time on discussing what it is the client's hiring them to do. Well, I, re I remember one of the one of the things you drilled into us is do not start a project without a signed contract. Absolutely, yeah, no question about that. Yeah, yeah, and and I think 
lesson learned somewhere along the way, I think. But yeah, I, I won't I won't start anything unless I've got something signed. Much just to the surprise of a current client who thought we were moving forward. And I'm like, it's been a month and you haven't sent back your contract. So what do you want me to do? But that's a another story. And we're still, he's still client and we actually have a pretty good relationship. So amazingly worked out. Well, the, the next thing, obviously, you know, we talked about the COVID-19 thing. And that's what we wanted to talk about mostly today, I think, is that right now the the Congress is working on all of this legislation that's supposed to help limit business liability in relationship to the pandemic. But until that happens, or even if that happens, do you think you're going to start seeing cases where clients are suing architects and contractors and engineers over this because somebody got sick? Or do you think or um, and possibly architects suing clients. What do you think is going to shake out from that? You know, and this is one of those areas you have to look at the basic. The ba- so as always, the basic fundamentals don't change. You know, you had the question before about texts and emails. You know, your message is your message, whatever you send. And the basic fundamentals are the same is do you have a duty to your client? Does your client have a duty to you? Um, and if they don't, let's say if they don't wear a face mask, is that considered negligent? And that is going to be the filter or the lens through which these future claims are evaluated. Um, but there's no, I've not seen any legislation right now stating that, um, you know, other than what we've seen from the respective counties, Dallas County, and then certainly, you know, at least in Texas, it seems like in our area, Dallas County has led with the strongest response to COVID-19 and then the other counties then follow suit. But, you know, you might look at that to say, well, you were supposed to wear a mask. You didn't wear a mask. I got sick. And so now it's your fault. I've not seen any of those cases yet. And really for us to get a good handle on those, you know, you would, you'd really start to have to look for some appellate opinions. And the funny thing is, in that regard, the courthouses these days are just shut down. I had a case that was supposed to go to trial a month ago, and we called in ready on Thursday before the Monday. By the way, and this is in Dallas County. In Dallas County, the, the courts issued a, quote, what they called an emergency order on March 27th of this year, and the Dallas County judges declared that, hey, you know what? We're going to stop jury trials. But uh, don't worry if you've got a bench trial or you have a hearing uh, where it's just two attorneys, maybe a few witnesses. We'll still take your case. It's business as usual. And they even set up how the trial was supposed to proceed with Zoom. Everything else, submission of documents. We submitted our documents on the Thursday. We called in ready. The response from the clerk, don't bother. I was shocked. I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, we're we're not having trials. I said, well, I know you're not having jury trials. What about bench trials? Oh, we're not doing those either. What? Well, what have you been doing for the last two months or three months? Uh, Well, mumble, mumble, shuffle papers. So right now, your government, at least in the courthouse, is at a standstill. Now, that's Dallas County. I can't speak for the surrounding counties, uh, what's going on. But I know if you go down south at Algo County, some of the ones, it is things have, have just grinded to a standstill. So I think even if somebody did want to sue somebody on these issues, it is it is slow. I mean, there is nothing happening. 
So this is going to have a really slow burn. We're going to have to see. But I would I would tell folks, I'd say, look, if if you have a project that requires you to go out and have physical contact with other people, look at the prevailing order in your county. It's not sometimes it's a city issue, but typically the cities follow the counties. But look at the county. So let's take Dallas County, for example. And if Dallas County says you're supposed to wear a mask, then wear a mask. I mean, that's really all you can do. Now, as an employer, um, you know, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit here. As an employer, though, you do want to be mindful of what your employees do and they don't do. And the counties now, at least the counties, you know, you and I work in Dallas and Tarrant, they are following the CDC guidelines that do say and they expect employers to conduct screenings of their employees to take the temperatures, even to the point of having the employee certify that they've not been diagnosed, they took their temperature or you take their temperature, and they've not had contact with anybody diagnosed with COVID-19. So, you know, I would, I would encourage, because this is such a fluid situation, I would encourage people to, if they haven't, read their respective county orders and visit the CDC website to see, and they lay it out actually fairly simply, it's fairly straightforward, what you need to do as an employer with employees if you're going out in public and so on. Well, you kind of kind of started getting into what I think is is really our next question really here about about what architects need to do to protect themselves legally. And I think it's it's really basically doing what the county suggests and what the CDC perhaps suggests. But I will tell you, I had a client test positive about close to three weeks after, about three weeks after she and I had met. And she was nice enough to notify me. Thank you. Yeah. Of course, she was also in Florida at the time. But that left me in the position of, okay, now, and, and I honestly wasn't worried. I'd had a antibody test probably a week and a half after she and I had met that came back negative, no symptoms, felt fine. But going forward, I was having to, you know, I would know I was meeting with other clients and the client I met with, I said, look, you need to know, you know, of course, we're all masked. We're trying to stay away from each other. I said, here's a deal. And I laid it out for them and they felt okay moving forward. So we went ahead and had our meeting. But are there other things that we should be doing beyond that, you think, to legally protect ourselves? Or is that just basically follow the county and follow CDC? I would certainly... You know, I'd follow the county, follow CDC. In your case where your client notifies you, you were in contact with them. You did the right thing, informing your client. Uh, and it may seem maybe a bit heavy-handed or awkward, but I would encourage you, like any important communication, to follow it up with an email if you didn't notify the client in writing remind them, I would say, hey, you know, and, and you can, you know, you can massage it or it's a little bit more friendly instead of, you know, coming across like a lawyer, heaven forbid. But you say, you know, hey, it was great to see you today. Um, just wanted to remind you of our conversation that I did have contact with somebody who tested positive for COVID-19. And certainly, you know, let me know if, you have any questions or concerns, 
your safety is is uh, very important to me. So it's important to me that you know that this occurred. Should you decide that you do not want me uh, to meet with you personally, I will respect that, and I will, uh, you know, I'll I'll honor your wishes. And it's something like that. But just where you're getting it down in writing, because inevitably what happens is everybody everybody's friendly when everything's going great, but when things go badly, people's memories um, they change, and they either forget or maybe history gets rewritten. And, you know, I really don't remember Larry telling me that he was exposed and he came over anyway. And if I had known that he had been exposed, I never would have let him come over. And, you know, your your jaw, you're picking your jaw up off the floor as you hear this and saying, what, Mitch, no, that's not true. And so what my question to you is going to be, Larry, did you send her an email or a text? Oh, and by the way, did you keep it? Particularly the text, because that happens. We change phones. And all those texts go away. So, by the way, everybody out there, if you're working on a project and you're a texter, um, save those texts, put them in a file, because eventually, and everybody uses their phone for business and personal, eventually you are going to upgrade your phone. It just, it's, the, it's how life is now. So be sure to download those texts because you may need them later on. But yeah, no, tell, tell your clients, let them know. And, um, you know, in the workplace, and this may be something y'all have talked about, and this actually happened in my workplace, is we, we had a confirmed case in my office. Um, I share an office with several other folks, and I got the email, and it said there was a case. And so we're going to clean it. They shut down the common areas. But I knew that I hadn't come into contact with the person uh, setting aside the fact that, you know, I generally don't talk to anybody in the office. Um, but that aside, they didn't tell me who it was. And so protocol right now is that if if that employee, so let's say, Larry, in your case, let's say you test positive and you're in the workplace. At the, what the employer should do is the employer then should ask you, Larry, who have you had contact with in the last few days? You know, or, you know, and I, I don't know the exact timeline, to, you know, typically, but they're supposed to ask you who you had contact with, and based on who, what names you give them, they then need to notify those people and tell them that they had contact with you. But then anybody else that you didn't have contact with, they just get the office-wide email without disclosing your name. And the reason for that is they're trying to balance the privacy, the HIPAA law mm-hmm. and protecting confidentiality requirements along with oh sorry guys <laughs> that's okay uh, trying my best here they're trying to protect the confidentiality requirements along with the um along with the right of folks to know so they can protect protect their health so it's a it's a balancing act okay well i mean that's that that all makes sense, and and yeah, especially the HIPAA thing. Uh, I don't know if you, James used to be in HR, so he's very cognizant of that, and probably would have been the first person to tell me, "No, you can't tell everybody because of HIPAA." So, uh, yeah, it's it's. I think as offices start getting opened back up, my niece is back at work. She's an architect, 
and they all had to be in the office on July 15th. No more working from home. But mm-hmm. they had very strict protocol about this is how you come into the office. This is what you'll be doing in the office. This is when you'll wear a mask. This is, I mean, just very, very specific to sort of protect everybody. But, you know, that's that's a office thing. And, and I think one of the other aspects of all of this is just maybe how contracts are changed. And Matthew, I'm going to let you ask this question because you haven't actually had to write or sign a contract yet. No, I haven't. Well, can I can I first ask a different question? Can can I, I'm unfamiliar. What can you go to a little bit more about what what is HIPAA? I actually I know I know briefly like it's just privacy stuff, but is that just it? Is just the federal privacy? Right. So HIPAA, you know, the boring. It's an acronym for the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, and what what we typically associate with it is privacy rights. And so in in the context of COVID, what we have to do or what we, you know, we have to as employers, employees, is we have to balance a person's right to confidential uh, medical information with the right of others to know that they've been exposed to coronavirus and how and when. And and actually, a good example was in the news maybe about a month ago was when it got out that Zeke Elliott, the running back for the Dallas Cowboys, tested positive for COVID. And he tweeted something to the effect of, well, wait a second, what about HIPAA? Because he said he hadn't disclosed it to anybody, and the only person who knew was his agent, and as far as he knew, his agent hadn't told anybody. Now, you know, I doubt that that's true, but... That's a good example is that, you know, even even running back for the Dallas Cowboys has confidentiality rights, even though he's a public figure, his medical information is supposed to be kept private. So in terms of what HIPAA is in this context, you know, I've gotten a lot of questions of, well, who can I tell? What can I tell? When can I tell them? Okay. Yeah, no, thanks. I, I, I just... Like like Larry said, I'm fairly new to this, and 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 so <laughs> that's always good to get a little background. But anyway, um, so yeah, back to the contracts that Larry was talking about earlier. Um, in a typical contract, I know that even though even though I'm fairly new, I know you have things like limited liability, indemnification, and hazardous material clauses. Um, but do you foresee adding a clause as relates to the pandemic? Yeah, I actually do. And I have, um, one of my clients is Dallas Fort Worth airport. And when this hit there, there was a lot of discussion. Now this is all public. The airport had to reevaluate certain projects, um, because of the feedback it was getting from certain, uh, contractors. And so there was an ongoing discussion about, well, does force majeure apply? And force majeure, for those that don't know, is essentially it's your act of God type of things, things that aren't within your control, that weren't foreseeable, that cause you to be unable to perform your obligations under the contract. So a lot of folks on the contracting side were arguing, and, and I've and this is actually, it's not unique to the airport. It's been going on 
around the country, there are a lot of uh, a lot of blogs, a lot of discussions about this. Was well, how if I'm a contractor and I can't meet my obligations because my material supplier in New York is shut down, can I claim force majeure? The answer is well, it depends. And the reason it depends is because force majeure, it's not a standard, typically acts of God will apply. But the question was, well, is an order of government an act of God? Is a pandemic an act of God? What do you mean when you're saying act of God? I mean, these are the things, again, that lawyers will spend a lot of time arguing about. And what what it really came down to was force majeure the definition of it depends on your contract because it's it's very it's contract specific it's fact specific it's specific to your state because there is no force majeure statute there's no law out there that somebody passed that says well in all cases if there's force majeure then this is what happens it really falls more into the into the um, what I say the the legal bucket of impossibility performance did something happen that I could not have foreseen that rendered my performance impossible so. What was typically in the standard boilerplate force majeure clause was not pandemic, was not uh, act of a government, uh, namely, you know, in response to a health crisis, maybe, maybe civil, you'll see civil unrest. But I mean, I, although I will say recently we've had a fair amount of civil unrest, it used to be that I would scoff when I would see that term. I'd say, yeah, right. When is that ever going to happen? Well, uh, I guess things have changed a little bit. In that regard, if you're in uh, if you're in Washington State or Seattle, that I suppose you'd be able to trigger that part of the clause. But uh, you know, force majeure. Now you should be looking at pandemic. You should be looking at a government act or order or order of health authorities that prevent or hinder your performance. Because you know there was the debate. Uh, two months ago, when the first Dallas County, is, is it three months now? I'm losing track of time these days. I think we all are. Oh, yeah. But uh, the question was, well, if I'm an architect, am I an essential worker? Is my project essential? Because initially, when Judge Jenkins issued his first order out of Dallas County, uh, the definition of essential businesses wasn't very clear, and what people could figure out was fairly narrow. There was a lot of back and forth on, well, is my residential project covered? Is it not? And ultimately, I think what we found was that those residential construction projects were considered essential. But what if you're just in the design phase? Are you then stuck with meeting with your client only uh, you know, via Zoom or FaceTime? So you know, those are things that I would advise people now, I mean, just things we never thought would happen in our lifetime, um, that we do need to address these things in the force majeure clauses to account for things that are going to prevent you from performing. Because you may not be able to, but your client still wants you to. And next thing you know, they're threatening to sue you because you didn't show up on the job because you are in the hospital with coronavirus. and It's not your fault. That's a lot to take in. <laughs> yeah, almost feels a little bleak. Um, yeah, this is not the Puppy Dogs and Rainbows podcast today. Sorry about that. 
Well, well that's okay. We, we've actually had a, a number of those where we've talked about stuff related to COVID and it didn't, you know, just doesn't sound chipper and upbeat, but that's what it is. Uh, uh, sort of a side, I guess, side question or sort of extension of the, the whole contracts thing. There's an architect in Ireland who put together a COVID-19 protocol for meeting with his clients. He apparently does a lot of residential. So he actually put together this protocol that defines the architect's behavior, the client's behavior, sets the time limit for the meeting, very, very specific about what everyone's responsibilities are. And you write down to if anyone's, you know, feeling sick, we cancel the meeting. So very, very specific. Would it be, as an architect, would it be smart to work that directly into the contract? Or would that be sort of almost like an addendum to your basic contract to say, okay, here's my basic services contract. Here's my list of additional services I typically include. And oh, by the way, here's the COVID-19 protocol that everyone's expected to follow. The answer is I wouldn't put it in the contract. I don't know that I would have it as an addendum to the contract necessarily. I would want to, I would want to look at it. And the reason why I'm hesitant to just simply say, hey, that sounds great. It's a wonderful idea because just on its face, it sounds like an excellent idea. What concerns me is to what extent is the client going to rely on you? And again, this is the what I do for a living. I start always saying glass half empty on these issues. But to what extent is the client going to look at you and say, well, but you didn't tell me this. And if you had told me this, I would have done that. And now I have coronavirus or some other issue because of you. Um, so I think each, I think it's a good idea. Um, I think you need to tailor it to your specific client situation. It's the same thing with, for example, with temperature takings. You know, the, the CDC says, well, as an employer, you can require your employees to, to, uh, you can, or you can uh, require your employees to, to, uh, to take their temperature. You can do it before you let them in the office. But, you know, what if, what if you set out this protocol with your client and your client says, well, say they're anti-mask and I'm not picking on, you know, this is no disparaging of the anti-mask folks, but let's say they're anti-mask and you say, well, I'm not going to meet with you in the protocol unless you're going to wear a mask. And they say, well, I won't do it. Well, what, what do you do then? Do you say, well, then I either, either that need, need, it should have been dealt with before you sign the contract, presumably, because then you have to make the decision. Let's say it's before the contract process. You can make the decision say, you know what? Thank you very much. I don't want to work with you. Good luck to you. And you move on to the next client. No problem. But what if you've signed the contract and then you give them this piece of paper and they say, I'm not going to wear a mask. Well, what do you do then? Does that excuse your performance? Do you then say, well, I'll meet with you remotely? Client says, no, I, your, your agreement. And let's say you have a certain number of client visits. You know, it says your agreement says you will meet with me X number of times. I expect you to meet with me. So I think you need to really think through that protocol. And if it's something that you, it would cause you, if your client didn't do it, it would cause you to not do the project, to walk away from the project. 
Well, wow. <laughs> I know. Like, it's, it's never, I know, it's never as easy as you think it would be sometimes. Sorry, I know it's my job to make the easy difficult. But, it, you know, again, thinking about the temperature scenario in the office, and I've had this discussion with folks, is I'll say, okay, let's say you suddenly have a, a mandate and it says, when, before you come in, I will take your temperature. And if, and if your temperature is above 98.6, I'm sending you home. Well, what about the employee that shows up and says, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to let you take my temperature. Well, you can send them home, but then you're suddenly getting into issues of, well, do they have to burn personal time? At what point does it come paid time off versus personal? I, it just, it starts to get very complicated. So you've really got to know it, it. Again, I think it goes back to the fundamentals in any business is what you all do is so relationship based. It's so personal that again, the, the time that you need to spend on developing your scope of services is, you know, have that discussion with your client and you can bring up the protocol sheet from Ireland that you mentioned and say, this is how I conduct my business. It's very important to me, not just that I'm safe, but that you're safe. So I need to know, can we work together, you know, on this basis moving forward? So in that respect, I would probably advocate for having that put out out front before you even sign the contract. Well, that makes sense. Um, Matthew, uh, we've been talking about this stuff. Are you sure you still want to be an architect? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wow. Um, well, half of your career has been in, in quarantine anyway. I mean, if you've been an architect for a year now. Well, that's that's cheerfully depressing. <laughs> Thanks, Mitch. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, Matthew, is there anything else you want to want to ask before we kind of wrap things up today? Um, I mean, I uh, my last question was going to be, if, do you have any advice for people looking to go back to normal? But it seems like all of our bases have been covered unless you have something else. <laughs> well, you know, in that regard, I actually do. And I would say it is, it's positive. And so I think everybody's been, and this is not so much legal. It's just a personal observation. And in working with, with clients, as I mentioned, you know, the airport's a client, um, architects and engineers are clients. I have some other owner clients. I have folks that are in related industries that are, uh, you know, one client, they manufacture solar inverters. And, you know, the, the effect on the economy has been surprisingly uneven. And by that, uh, I would direct people who are looking at the glass half empty to look at those businesses that are thriving right now. And I would say a common denominator in the businesses that are thriving are ones that that have adapted that have said you know what um things have changed i recognize there's change change is part of life and i'm going to adapt whether it's learning how to become proficient with zoom meetings you know finding a way to meet your client and still you know meet their expectations you know, in person, but, you know, having the protocol sheet, getting these things out in front, it's, it's investing, it's really, it's investing the time and the energy. I mean, the, and the easy example for me are the fast food restaurants 
that have invested in the technology to allow customers to order online, which is, it's always been there. It's always been there. And they've invested technology in the tablets and people are going through the drive-through lines. I mean, because, you know, like the rest of us, I, I don't want to cook. Uh, and I have four kids at home. So at a certain point, you know, there's only so many things, you know, you can do and it's just, you got to get out. And, and so I think if what it's, what this has done, yes, it's, uh, it's caused everybody to wear masks, but it's also, I think, accelerated, uh, online communication, online transactions, things that were probably going to happen anyway, have been accelerated. And so as a business, if you adapted to this already, I think you're going to be fine. I think there, it's going to be, there's going to be a rough patch, but I really see, even if you're not ready to go back to business as usual, business is going to come back. I just wouldn't say it's as usual. It's just going to be a little bit different. And a little bit different isn't bad. It's just different. It's like anything else in life. You know, uh, we all make plans. And, you know, what happens to those plans? Um, they don't, you know, it's a, make a plan, throw away the plan. I mean, that's just that's just how it goes. So I think you're going to be fine if you still focus on the fundamentals. And those are client relationships, being responsive, spending the time to keep your clients happy. And the best um, the best source of new business are those old clients who are going to refer you who said, you know what? I had a, I had a fantastic experience with Larry. I had a fantastic experience with Matthew and I would recommend them to anybody and they do. And you'll be fine. Well, that's actually something kind of upbeat. I think uh, probably a good point to wrap up on. So I can say we should stop while we're ahead here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. Uh, Mitch, is there any contact information that you want to share? If someone wants to reach out to you. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, so my website, it's very easy. It's my last name, Milby, M-I-L-B-Y, L-L-C, like the company. So it's www.milbyllc.com. And my phone number, 469-358-9610. And my email is Mitch, my first name, at milbyllc.com. And for those who always worry about getting a bill in the mail after they just call up an attorney, that's not how I work. I mean, Larry, you know that uh, after years of working with me, I will, if I'm going to do that, I will talk to you and I'll say, you know what, Larry, I think that question is going to cause me to do a little bit more work than a phone call. How about I send you a fee proposal? And I do that not just for your benefit, but for mine. Because remember, you mentioned earlier, what advice do I give my clients? Don't work without a contract. I'm the same way. I don't want to work without a net. And so I'll send you a fee proposal. You'll look at it. It will define what my scope of service, exactly what I'm going to do for you and the fee. And then we'll move on from there. So I, I encourage people, questions, please call me. I'm always happy to do the one-offs, to take an easy phone call. Um, you know, again, cause it's about the relationships and I, I really, I love the Andy community and I want to help you guys out whenever I can. Excellent. Well, that's great. Um, and of course, for most of you who, if you listen to the podcast regularly, you know, you can find me at spotteddogarchitecture.com also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. My Instagram and Twitter handle is at spotteddogarch. 
And for Matthew, your Twitter is... ArchGeekMatt. We want to thank Mitch for joining us, and thank all of you guys for listening again. Uh, we got a little bit long and maybe a little depressing, so hopefully when we come back next time, we'll have something a little perkier going on. In the meantime, go off, enjoy your weekend, and we will talk with you later. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.